Landscape is equated with nature. Right. Drilling right. streams, greenery, untouched by man. I was even taught when I went to school that a good landscape was a landscape that did not show the hand of man. That was when you succeeded. When I came in, it's like, well, our cities, our landscapes, as soon as you step out of the building, everything is the landscape. I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. This week's episode is about the landscape architect. I sit down with Martha Schwartz to discuss what it means to be a landscape architect, the best that they can bring to city building, and the problematic practices of the profession. You'll hear a few sirens and traffic sounds in this episode, but that's the beauty of recording near a busy street in New York City. Let's dive in. Hi, I'm Martha Schwartz, and uh, I am a landscape architect, I think. Uh, I have founded uh, the practice of Martha Schwartz Partners. We have offices in London, New York, and a small one in Shanghai. Our work is international, and our focus has always been the integration of art and landscape with the idea of really creating a higher quality of life within cities, being able to make things out of nothing without a lot of money, being able to create environments that people will respond to on an emotional level, and really just improving quality of life, as I said. So that's one thing I do. Another thing I do is I teach. Um, I'm a professor of practice at, at the Harvard Graduate School of Design for I think it's something like 26 years, uh, not counting the year I was there as a student. It's a long time, but that means I'm not a full-time academic. I teach design studios. Okay, so I wanted to uh, dive into uh, your home profession for for a bit, if we could. So um, for those those folks that aren't terribly familiar, um, what is landscape architecture? Let's just start with the basics. When I came in and started school in the uh, uh, early-ish 70s, landscape architecture was, uh, well, landscape architects were self-proclaimed stewards of the land. And this really came from um, the CARG, uh, a, a really understanding of how we as professionals understand the, the systems uh, within ecological uh, uh, services, the, you know, how the soils, plants, animals, the cycles, how, you know, whole, how that really fit in, how it worked and how it fit into building things. Hmm. So, I mean, it was uh, very rooted in ecology and how to understand that so we could build in a more sustainable fashion. So this is an underpinning of the profession is sustainability Mm -hmm. for a very long time. Um, Now, the profession itself is a a young profession. It just hasn't been around very long. I would say that uh, Harvard has the oldest school uh, of landscape architecture in the world. Um, It was really uh, started by uh, the Olmsted brothers, 
mm-hmm. uh, and and then went on from there. So it's a very strong department, um, and it went through many phases. But it's a, it still remains a very small uh, profession where you have designers, you have people who are designing the urban environment, you have everything from um, people who are much more uh, centered in ecology, more centered in larger scale, smaller scale gardens, planning. It's a very loosely defined profession because we're talking about the land. It's not a building. Mm-hmm. It's the land and all the various pieces and sizes and conditions and ecologies you can think of. That's our remit is to figure out how it's working and how we better integrate whatever needs to happen on that piece of land. Should it happen in the first place? So we're very much rooted in really seeing bigger contexts, um, understanding the benefits, the risks, what it would take to actually do the most integrated, uh, let's say, project. If we're talking about projects, mm-hmm. that's possible. Now, I would say the, the the problem is that there's always been this kind of fight between is it art and design is it ecology and science and there are factions within and uh it hasn't been a a very integrated profession which i believe is the benefit it's very open you can go off and be a landscape architect in the forest service or run Mm -hmm. the forest service or you can be a landscape architect and run a huge planning firm or you could be a landscape architect who loves to design gardens and use only, you know, local plants. And I mean, there are so many pieces of it. Mm-hmm. My piece was really about the urban environment, man-made, if we're making our landscape, which is a very controversial way of thinking, especially here in the United States. Mm. Landscape is equated with nature. Right. Drilling right. streams, greenery, untouched by man. I was even taught when I went to school that a good landscape was a landscape that did not show the hand of man. That was when you succeeded. When I came in, it's like, well, our cities are landscapes. As soon as you step out of the building, everything is the landscape. Mm-hmm. Everything. Your roads, your sewers, your sidewalks, your uh you know, your, your uh, clover leaves, your highways. I mean, th- there's everything outside of that building footprint is the landscape, and we're making them. But because it's not really seen as a landscape, we, we don't really bother designing them. It's neither architecture, it's not landscape. What is it? It's what the engineers pretty much tell us it is, and mm-hmm. then we kind of think, well, that's just the way it looks. Mm-hmm. But there are other cultures who really see the landscape as something that's more integrated with us as human beings. It has to do with cultural views, religious views, who we are as part of the universe. I mean, it really depends on individual philosophies. But here in the West, we're completely separated. And I think that because I've traveled around and worked in many places, it's very evident that we continue to think about building and building things, building our cities as a purview of architecture planning. And the landscape is left for us somewhere out there. Mm-hmm. And that has actually cost us quite a lot and will cost us even more in the future as we think about the landscape as something other than something that's connected to us. 
Right. Well, I know I've, I've, it's a very difficult question what you just asked. What is landscape <laughs> architecture? What is the landscape? What is, what is a garden? It's a very literally an open field, mm-hmm. which has so much potential. What do you see the best of what landscape architects can bring to the process of city building specifically? I think that the best that we can do is to really help to map out at the beginning within the planning process. Hmm. Because I'm not sure that within the planning process, if there isn't somebody who completely understands, not from the ground up, but below the ground, (laughs) exactly what's happening. Uh, When I was at school, we had a brilliant professor, Doug Way, where we could take a look at what was happening underground. And we could see it through what was the plants that were actually growing to understand the geology, which allowed us to understand where you should place buildings and structures hmm. and where that meant, where, where it made sense to do it. So you, in the end, you know, 20 years or 30 years later, you find yourself in a riverbed. Um, this would make a lot of sense if we take a look at what's happening with a lot of cities now, that if remote sensing had been done before that city had been planned out, a lot of things would be very different now as we face right. climate change. Right. So that's knowledge that we have. It's embedded in our practices and how we would go about really taking a look at cities. Of course, water is number one, and we'll be coming up against that more and more as water becomes a challenge, either too much, too little, not at, in, at regular intervals. Um, if there isn't somebody who really understands not just the water itself, but the lay of the land, how it's going to flow, uh, soil qualities, what soil is going to retain it, not retain it. Really, it's like taking an x-ray of a person before you actually have surgery on them. Hmm. So if you're not really taking the x-ray, you're just looking at it from above and you make your plan, you might run into some problems, which Hmm. cities do. So to uh, best start out, you get a good landscape architect who has a good set of sub-consultants, knows all the sub-consultants you need to gather around you. We have actually put been put as primes. We're being asked more and more to be a prime or mm-hmm. work in conjunction with the planner because we have a broader scope of who you need in order to understand the infrastructure of the city, I mean, below the soil, the water right. systems. And then you build up from there, like where are the connections, where are people going to need to be, you know, what are the economics, all the way to the economics of a city, Mm -hmm. and where that's going to flow from, and um, what needs to be repaired, or, you know, critical intersections, critical areas of growth, critical needs for housing. And then, of course... Um, there, there is the infrastructure itself. If you don't have landscape architects on infrastructure, you could end up living in a city like Abu Dhabi. Good luck with that because people can't get out and walk. Why? Because there was nobody to say, well, if you keep on making your roads so that you can go faster and not have any crosswalks and just traffic circles, everybody has to go under a tunnel under the road. The roads are so wide that nobody can cross and they're dealing with issues of obesity. People just can't get around. And of course there's no greenery to cool down the city Mm. and the city is too hot to go outside three months out of the year. 
it just adds up. It's like, wow, you have a very unhealthy skeletal structure and you're not able to really thrive as, let's say, as a body. Like all those mm-hmm, things are mm-hmm, terrible mm-hmm. mistakes because nobody was thinking about how you put even human health together with walkability, with scale, what it takes, to, what it would take to integrate the natural world with the built environment. Mm-hmm. You build your natural world into the nat- into the built environment. That's what you have to do. To actually, create something that is in balance. Now, now it's becoming a lot more critical. Now. Now we're mm-hmm. really going to need that, that kind of integrative thinking because city sewers will not be able to take in the amount of water that are, is going to be coming down, either not enough or when it does, it's going to be too much. The water should be kept for irrigation. The sewers are not separated. The water will run off either into the ocean or into the sand or not kept. You won't have enough water. The cities will be getting too hot because of the heat island effect, too much pollution, People won't be able to get out of their apartments and cool off someplace, which now more and more people are trying to do. Mm-hmm. There are all sorts of effects that we're going to have to face as the climate warms that, well, I'm afraid that only natural systems would be able to take on at any scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And that, I mean, that that's so interesting of, of if we think about um, the, the traditional disconnect between natural and built and landscape architects being the connective tissue between that. And then, and then you've, you've mentioned scale a number of times and, and how that has to, has to transcend scale. So we've had a a few guests in the, on the pod uh, over the last while where they've talked about um, you know, the, the mental well-being of human beings and how natural spaces and green spaces, uh, allow folks to thrive. And then you scale it up to all the changes and the impacts of climate change that you've been talking about and the importance that landscape architects with the knowledge set of how to weave those things together from, from the metro urban megalopolis system down to how an individual human lives a better life. It's really interesting. It's absolutely true, John. I mean, we've worked on a couple hospitals, um, not in the United States, but as I said, we, we work in internationally, mm-hmm. but you know, Europe is m- miles ahead of the United States. We are really, our isolationism has cost us quite a bit, but uh, this giant hospital, it's a public hospital in Vienna. Um, they really did their homework in terms of research and being able to prove that if the hospital, public hospital, integrated green at all levels, meaning levels of the building in terms of where patients could get out and at least see green when the the staff could get out the the doctors if you could walk out if you could see it interface throughout the building that patients stayed a lot less time Hmm. so what they did is they ring fenced the landscape budget which is usually the slush fund for overruns because it's not seen as important it's viewed viewed as decorative right we just mm-hmm. decorate it. We don't really need it. It's just a nice thing. It's a nicety. Yeah. But it's not essential. But for this hospital, in order for their patients to um, heal in less time, it makes the hospital more profitable. So they made sure that the budget for the landscape was actually 
uh, safeguarded so that the hospital would work better economically. Hmm. And that's how Europe is doing it. Mm-hmm. They know it's it's a it's a cost savings. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's 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 one of those examples probably that that you've run into throughout your career of the distinction between um, cost and investment. So there's dollars to be spent, but if depending on your mindset, the infrastructure, the green infrastructure, is a cost in the mindset of some, but for others that care about the long term viability of the of the facility and and even you know imagine that the health of the patients inside, it's actually an investment in those things. <laughs> So when we think about uh, landscape architecture, there's always a, a, a shadow side to to everything, including professions. So what are some of the bad habits or unintended consequences of landscape architecture as it comes to city building when, when people are, are thinking about and learning about the profession? Well, I would say the, the, the negative side of the profession um, is certainly not the intent, sure, sure. the purpose of it. It's, I mean, w- we are the good guys. We're the green guys. <laughs> we're the, the ones who are really thinking about this stuff and know about and are trained to think about these things holistically and in with you know a lot of complexity. Um, I'm very proud of it. I mean, I think it's a really valiant battle Mm -hmm. but it's a battle it's a battle um the idea that somehow we're a decoration uh not necessary Mm, cherry on top of the cake Mm. uh somehow a child of a lesser god um, I have always found both outrageous, but also uh, I think that too many of the landscape architects have drunk the Kool-Aid on that one. Our self-image, the self-image of being a landscape architect is what holds us back. And I'm like, hmm. wait, you guys, wait a minute. Um, uh, there is so much that we could commandeer and we could actually, if we were had a stronger voice, if we could explain ourselves better, if we could really get out there, not be so scared of fucking up or getting somebody upset or getting fired, which I do get, uh, <laughs> you might be able to be a little bit more open-minded. I mean, some people aren't going to like you. Maybe some people will, but there's so much that we have because it's so broad, but so inclusive mm-hmm. and also so deep. All hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I also see such a strong future for us if we could know and see what that future is. So that's my job at Harvard is trying to yeah. get people to understand, like, hey, guys, look what's coming our direction. Look at who we are. Look at what we do really well. Yeah. We are really suited to take on this task. Mm-hmm. But if you guys don't understand it, you know, like – don't do that. You know, yeah. we really have so much to offer. We just are pretty okay. Here's my big complaint: we're such nice people. <laughs> That's the problem. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, that yeah. I mean, your your description of of how the the, the knowledge and skill set um, can and should um, relate to and lead in the future. 
Um, that, that certainly resonates. I mean, from, from my home profession of urban planning, the reason that intelligent futures exists is to explore the potential of the, the skill set and the knowledge and the, the view of, of the planners. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's absolutely. Yeah. So I, so I think that that, that, that requires, uh, unconventional approaches and to not drink the Kool-Aid, as you said, and, and from, from your perspective is, is it fair to say, like, just what I've, I've, I've been pulling from you, is it fair to say that the the most uh, dangerous is, is, is an overstatement, but we'll use it. The most dangerous space for landscape architects is when they get into the space of whatever you ornamentation, stylish and sexy at the at the expense of the human beings and the the natural systems. Is that a, is that a fair way to? Because I've 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 seen some I've seen you know projects that look wonderful in magazines, and you don't see human beings ever going there. As an example, um, yeah, I, I I have to say I'm one of those people who do stylish and stylish and fancy things with no human beings. Uh, I would say in my defense is because I come from an architectural tradition where nobody likes people and they're. <laughs> their photographs. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean the photographs. I mean it looks good in a photograph, but then you could you could take that picture anytime because yeah, okay, there's no enough. there's no uh, there's no service of of human beings, and that that maybe they don't have the integration that connective tissue with the natural world. Well, here's the thing. I mean that's a that's a really good question, and I I have to think about it in my own head because I think that the actual physical expression of what you do in the end the design is what creates sustainability at least in terms of how people use it Mm -hmm. if you do something that is just functioning as an ecological kind of uh, environmental systems piece and it's boring, it doesn't attract people, there's no place to sit, people, there's no curiosity involved or interactivity mm. or whatever, it will not be maintained. And therefore, all the good things it's doing, all the resources that you use to, to build it will be junked. It will be lost. It will mm-hmm. be wasted. It will be a waste. Yeah. So from my point of view... Um, I think strategy, the underpinnings of a project have to really work and they have to work in a very scientific, logical way. The systems, you know, how the earth is structured, how deep you go, how that pit that is going to actually drain the water, where you're going to store it. All that infrastructure has to be how it's integrated with the architecture, with mm-hmm. the buildings. How do you collect the water? What is the gray water, the, the black water? How do you actually make the most of that? What are you going to do when it floods? Where is that going to do? Now, that sets up the problem. Now, how you actually solve it sculpturally better be pretty beautiful, pretty exciting, mm-hmm. pretty, well, let's go there and see that. It's got to commute to people, and we're visual, we're tactile, we're curious, we want to sit, we want to eat, we want to socialize, and anything you can do to address us as human beings in a city or any place where there's something beautiful, magical, you know, spatially communicative, has, I don't know, 
opportunities to do different things. There are so many things that make good pl- places. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't just dismiss it because it looks funny or cute or artistic. Mm-hmm. Actually, art does a lot to be able to connect people to place. So I'm just saying you get your engineering right, you get your strategies right, you get your infrastructure right, and then in order to solve it, you solve it making art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a great description. I think what I was trying to get at is is it's trying to integrate like the it's a really yeah. really hard job <laughs> to achieve all those things. And and well not only that, yeah. it's super hard because people don't really value it. There's that too. <laughs> There's no value. Yeah. Now, let's talk about that for a second because that kind of is the underpinning. Whenever you're looking at a problem with anything, it, it's always the answer is follow the money. It yeah. always works. Yeah. So if you take a look at how the land itself, whether it's land within cities, dense cities, land outside of cities, farmland, any place, land has a value. It has a monetary value. And the value is assessed by its desirability, by what people will pay to have that piece of land. Inside of cities, like here in Manhattan, um, the per square foot of land is pretty high. San Francisco, pretty high. So are you going to spend that piece of land doing something that is pretty or has a tree that is going to bring psychological relief to people? Probably not. That ain't going to happen, not in a society where the value for, well, having money, if if that is what is seen as being quality of life, is that you have a lot of money, then that isn't going to be as desirable. If you go to Bhutan, maybe a piece of land would be valued differently. Maybe the idea that in Bhutan that a piece of green with trees in it is actually more valuable than one more building because they measure quality of life in terms of their happiness. Mm-hmm. Now, that piece of land would actually have more value, which means that if it's more value, you would value how it looked, you would ha- value how long it's going to last, you would even maybe think of hiring somebody to actually make sure that that lasted over time. So it all goes to the value, and land up until now, or the earth, or the earth system, and you know the 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 what the earth system is it's a compilation of all the systems that affect one another with the on the earth Mm -hmm. you know the Mm -hmm. stratosphere the holosphere the you know everything that is active that makes the earth um that hasn't been monetized and the um scientists and the economists are just starting to understand what the real benefits a piece of earth actually has like if your, let's say your city were to flood and to flood the first story of all your buildings, what would be the benefit of having a piece of open land that could actually help that from happening? Mm-hmm. Would you buy that piece of land? Would you not build on it so that it would save a lot of money that it would take to somehow lift your whole city up? Or how much oxygen do trees actually make? How much is oxygen worth to us? How much is it worth for us to be able to breathe? How much do trees actually uh, create in terms of benefits, in terms of heat island effect? These environmental services 
are now being monetized. And that's something I'm very interested in. It's something my practice is interested in. The Park Service has figured out how every species of trees, how it can be monetized in terms of how much energy a tree can save from having to either uh, air condition your house or heat it, how much heat it it actually absorbs how much carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases it absorbs and how much that monetization of saving that carbon dioxide by extracting it from the atmosphere. It tells you how much water a tree can absorb so that you don't have to put it into your sewer. It goes on and on Mm -hmm. and on. So you could put a sign on every tree saying this tree is worth this much amount of value. And if it's in front of a building or a house, it's going to be a lot more than that, too, because any property who has a tree or green green beef in front of it is valued more. And as a matter of fact, you can always see where the poor areas of any city is by the lack of trees. Hmm. It's very easy to see. Mm-hmm. Where there's poverty, there are no trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's it's uh, it really speaks to the I mean I mean just the the concept of putting um, you know a monetary value on the ecological services that that natural systems provide um, that you know in our experience that's a, a a real eyebrow raiser for folks just because they haven't come across the idea uh, before but then it also um, it really highlights the need for um, or highlights, I guess, the issue that that city building really requires both private and public interest to to come to force. So if you if you just go follow the money, and if it's totally run by private interest, then they're going to maximize that. But that's where public interest has to come in, and that's where you know conversation I just had with Larry Beasley about about that and making sure that there's someone maintaining that that public interest, not at the not at the exclusive expense of private, but walking that tightrope of how that happens. Absolutely, it's critical. It's absolutely critical having good leadership in terms of being able to create our cities so that they're more adaptable because they're all going to have to adapt. Hmm. And, um, I mean, my own, uh, kind of my own research into this, which I kind of do through the studios I have at Harvard is how to integrate at a scale that matters, uh, forests, how to a forest dense, urban areas that have already been built. Hmm. How do we do that so that they're not street trees? Street trees don't do very much. Again, it's lovely. It's decorative, 30 feet on center. Um, That is not a forest. Forests are connected by the roots and Mm -hmm. the mycorrhizal fungus, and they live in some symbiosis. Mm -hmm. You know about forests, right? So the thesis is what if we could reforest our cities? And I'd believe there are ways of doing that, and that's what our studios are on. Of course, it has to do with rethinking our transport, the the possibilities of automated vehicles, um, kind of alternative ways of creating better better connectivity inside our cities. We could do all this. We just need to imagine it. But Mm -hmm. that's what being an academia is about. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If if we have some listeners out there that are citizens, city dwellers, uh, and you could speak to them, uh, give them advice on how, as a citizen, you could most effectively work with a landscape architect that is working in your community, what advice would you give them? 
if I were a landscape architect working in a community. Yeah, if you, if you were talking to a citizen <laughs> about trying to give those folks advice about how to, um, you know, if, if, they've, if they've never interacted or worked with a landscape architect and they're doing a project in their community, what advice would you give them? Well, I think that, uh, first of all, introducing people to what it is that we do in terms of integrating natural systems into the built environment and making sure that we're living in balance with the environment, Mm -hmm. but also creating wonderful places for people. That is really our job, is to create that balance. Mm -hmm. And that we like to take into consideration not just that, but the well-being of communities, uh, the importance of communities, the importance of people interacting with spaces, and the importance of health and safety, and, and access to beauty. Uh, I believe that everyone has a right to beauty in their mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. And that this is something that the landscape can deliver, because our relationship to the landscape and to greenery, to things that are alive, uh, that is fundamental to our, our, our human health, and it is fundamental to who we are. We're able to put together really complicated issues such as what are we going to do where, what belongs where, who gets to say what is going to happen, how it's going to function, all the way to getting people involved in really making decisions about their public space. I particularly am interested in the public space of cities. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. So it's very complicated, a lot more complicated than architecture by far, because everybody has a right to their public space, and they're right about that. Mm -hmm. But in my own experience... When it really comes down to what everybody wants to see in their space, there's never enough space. (laughs) (laughs) So then it really comes to working with people and to going along in a process so they can understand the process of what it takes to build a landscape, as I said, not from the ground up from, but down underneath the ground Mm. all the way up to the sky, how, Mm -hmm. how they actually kind of build something that's going to work and work for them and create something that is truly sustainable, meaning that it is able to uh, maintain itself and maintain its value for people. Because unless people value it, it won't last. So it's very, Mm -hmm. very important to, to actually work together with the designer, to trust the designer as a designer or artist, that that's something that we do very well and know about as a profession, Mm -hmm. but also somebody who's going to be responsive to what people think and feel, even if they're not designers. There has to be a consensus about the direction it's going in. Mm, Okay. In order to, you know, people understand that it's, it's really been done, maybe not in agreement with everybody, but it, it is through a process that happens through a community. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, so really what the, the, the key for, for the citizen involvement part of it is, is, uh, there, there's a level of learning and understanding that, yeah. that goes in with that. And then, and then with the, the experience that those folks can, you know, this is how we use this space currently. This is what's missing in this community to inform the design process. So to really bring those key ingredients that the designers yep. can then use their expertise to work with. You said that very eloquently, a lot better than I said it, but you're correct. <laughs> and the one thing I wanted to add to that, because it's very interesting, because we've done so much public work, is that people are not very articulate about the landscape, flowers, trees, water, a bench, this and the other. So you don't really get a very clear remit. What really gets the ball rolling and what we use to kind of draw it out is we'll come up with ideas. Well, let's try this. This has a hmm. red, you know, uh, porch swing all over the place or, you know, purple umbrellas or lots of movable seats or we have, you know, this, that, and the other. Uh, different kind of aesthetic approaches. Like, do you like hmm. color or you, you hate color or do you like sculptural form or, you know, and so we kind of start with very general ideas and people start to react to that because, hmm. you know, People know what they like or they don't like just by looking at it. Yep. And that gives you a clue because you can have it work functionally, but if people don't like the way it looks, you're out of there. Yeah, yeah. So the way it looks is super important to mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. not to animals so much, but to human beings. If they don't like your face, you're out of there. Forget <laughs> it. So you really have to understand that getting um, – Let's say getting your art or your design out in front of people, say, well, what do you like it or what do you like about it? Or start to get a feeling for where you need to go in terms of your own design process mm -hmm. and get bored with it quickly so people can see that, oh, well, you know, everybody liked that more. There are some people who hated it, but a lot, the consensus is like they like the color orange. Mm. So, okay, well, that's interesting. So we'll start with that. Yeah, and then you 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 bring it back in iterations so people can see how it's moving and why you're doing what you're doing. Why you as a designer? Yeah, what brought you to move to the next step and the next step? And when you have somebody's trust in how you're developing it, you actually can do some pretty out there, really wonderful stuff. Yeah, that they love. Yeah, out there stuff that are attractive and actually. That's what we get hired for. We get hired by people, you know, leaders of countries and cities because they want people to be attracted to their city. People are shopping for cities now because mm. they want to find really nice places to live. And they're not really looking at the buildings, I'm sorry to say. They're really looking about the quality of life, you know, public transport, the accessibility to parks, open spaces, how are the kids are going to be brought up. They're really looking at the landscape. London, I've lived there for, what, 13 years or so. They really maintain their landscapes because people love living there because of the access to parks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And the fewer parks, the more difficult it is to actually attract people to cities. Yeah. And, you know, it's really now seen as a calling card because buildings tend to, in the end, they kind of, a lot of them look a lot the same, but the landscape can be a real something that distinguishes you from being like everybody else. And mm -hmm. since everything looks like everything else globally now, people are looking towards the landscape for expression and distinction or 
you know, this is who we are. And so you need to work with the people to understand that. Then you express it. Then they say, oh, I don't like that. Or I like that. Or, yeah, let's do that. Or, okay, I didn't understand that. Looks good. They have to understand the problems that I'm dealing with. Yeah, right, right. They have to understand why this was a solution. They don't look at, like it. You go back to the drawing board until you have something that you're really confident is going to work. Mm-hmm. And then they trust you with that. And there's a lot of money and a lot of pain that it goes through to actually deliver something like that. But because they've been part of that process, it's like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and I think it's, you know, you know what we were, uh, uh, you were talking about with, uh, with your sister just before we started recording about the value of communication. Uh, I think city builders, that's a really critical part that often is just sort of, left. And so some people are good at it, some people aren't, but it's not intentional. And so that exactly to your point of, of how can these different professions articulate their knowledge base, but then as they work with community to say, you know, you, you, you maybe requested a particular path, we went a different way, but here's why. And so yeah. the, the, because I really do think that that's important as more and more of us globally live in cities, the more the more citizens understand the complexities of a city, yes. then the better we're all going to be. Then, then if you end up with a public space that is, you know, 70% of your neighbors just love and you're just kind of okay with it, you understand all the different factors that went into it and you can still enjoy it and be a part of that community. Yeah. Well, you know, we all have to make compromises. We're not studio artists. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, here's one thing I wanted to say about, like how to empower our profession of landscape architects. And, you know, that's an important thing. Like, well, what is it about us that we really can do? Cause I've, you know, I've been thinking at a, a larger, larger, larger scales in terms of kind of, you know, what I'm thinking about right now. But one of the things is like, Oh, you know what? We are really good communicators and not just landscape architects, architects, people who build cities, but as architects and landscape architects, when you think about it, number one, we are out there convincing clients to build something that doesn't exist or mm-hmm. may never have existed before. So we're making something out of nothing and we're telling the story of its evolution and bringing that story alive. Right. So much so that somebody actually has built enough trust to, you know what, to spend a lot of money to build these things. You've convinced somebody to build something that is wildly expensive <laughs> and doesn't exist. <laughs> so if, if you can't communicate, you never get anything built. Mm-hmm. You, we, we really are fundamentally because we, we can tell stories. We can talk about the process. We can understand the complexities. We can draw pictures. We can animate things. We can show others. We can really talk in a number of languages so that people feel comfortable enough to take risks. Mm -hmm. And to do something that's large or too expensive or, you know, it's difficult. But we're able to do that. That's a very, very big skill set. And communications is central because you know what? We have to move very fast now. Yeah. Climate change has made 
this a very urgent and very important topic to how to build, retrofit, save our cities. Because mm-hmm. more, more and more people are continuing to move into cities and it's going to be difficult, a difficult task to somehow figure out how they really will work to be able to serve the population given the challenges that are coming. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, well, this has been uh, terrific. Thank you uh, so much for sharing your time. It's been my pleasure. It's been my pleasure to meet you, John, and to talk to you. And I really am honored that you have chosen to have this conversation with me. Thank you. Absolutely. Today's perspective is one of many in city building. Every contributor has its challenges and opportunities. If you think we missed any key points about this profession, let us know. Email us at hello at 360degree.city. Stay tuned for our next episode in the series. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.